0: People with BPD often feel like they don't belong anywhere. The thing is, we as humans need connections with others to survive and to feel emotionally fulfilled. Hyper-individualism is shit and it doesn't work. So how do we combat loneliness? Well, we cultivate meaningful connections with others. But how and where do you do that? So let's go through some ways we can build up our support systems. Off we go. Quiet, not silent. You create a perfect world in our heads. am just a fucked up girl. Is a feeling of isolation or disconnection from others, even when you're surrounded by people. It can come up in different ways, like from a lack of social support, or from feelings of emptiness, or when some sense of alienation from others pops up. I'm gonna reference a worksheet I've had for years on loneliness, and I got this in therapy. It was written by Martin Boas, who is a German researcher, and he is past president of the european society for the studies of personality disorders and is the president of the german association for dbt he's published more than like 300 pieces of literature about mechanisms of psychotherapy borderline personality disorder and ptsd so he knows a lot um this worksheet made me cry it feels funny to say a worksheet made me cry but it did Like I I just felt so seen after reading it and so I'm happy to be able to share it with you here. So let's go. Coping with loneliness and social isolation. Many people who experienced interpersonal violence in their childhood or adolescence or who grew up in a social environment that did not respect or value or that strongly neglected their emotional needs have developed a deep sense of not belonging this is especially true when they had been unable to share their negative emotional experiences and suffering with loved ones this includes not only immediate family members but also and in fact often particularly peers they feel like outsiders sometimes as if they were from another planet Most are severely affected by this social isolation. Especially when they are alone, the brooding and longing for others will begin. Who still likes me? Is there anyone else out there? Who can I rely on? The fear of separation is very strong, sometimes so strong that abusive relationships may be tolerated for years just to avoid being abandoned and left alone. There is a strong correlation between the very stressful feeling of existential loneliness and attempts to block emotions and memories. Typical triggers and interpretations of loneliness. Pervasive feelings of loneliness can be triggered by various situations. You are alone in your room. You are somewhere far away from home. You are with others, but no one is talking to you and you can see how everyone except you is having fun. Deep and persistent feelings of loneliness can also arise when you say goodbye to someone you care about, or even when you are just thinking about leaving that person. Loneliness usually arises through an unspecific longing or homesickness for someone. Typical thoughts are, I am different from everyone else. I have no home. I don't belong anywhere. I'm being ostracized nobody understands me and finally what can i do to fit in perceptions of others can often get distorted someone suffering from loneliness may perceive other people as always being cheerful and united and they may not recognize an offer of outreach when it's given I'm just gonna take a pause here. Loneliness can hurt us physically. I don't know about you, but I feel that pang in my core and it is painful. It's like grieving something that hasn't left. And speaking of distorted perceptions, I find that when I was spending too much time on social media, my FOMO was unreal. Like it was ruining my sense of self-worth. Even seeing posts of complete strangers traveling was giving me a horrible sense of loneliness and emptiness. Like, it wasn't until I built up my self-worth that those posts stopped giving me FOMO and instead started to inspire me. But for a while, I had to just stop engaging with them. It was driving me nuts. I just felt so inadequate and lonely. Um, It was fueling those thoughts of nobody understands me, I don't belong anywhere. You know, I am different from everybody else. I I just felt so behind. I don't know, like, if anyone else feels like this as well, but I notice, I don't know, I'm not able to have conversations about it with people for some reason. So I had to delete my LinkedIn because that was the worst one. Everyone else seemed to, be getting jobs in their field and like connecting with each other and meanwhile i'm like finding it harder and harder to find a remote job in my field that is a good fit for me um i felt so alone and misunderstood i had to delete my linkedin so if this resonates in any form delete your linkedin delete it anyway let's get back to this worksheet. Action urges about loneliness. People who are lonely want to make contact with others either in reality or in imagination. When threatened by loneliness, they may try to prevent others from leaving them by becoming very submissive or possibly aggressive. They may make dysfunctional attempts to overcome loneliness Some find that actions of self-harm or threatening suicide allow them to make social contacts, even if it is only with professionals. In the long run, these actions lead to loss of relationships and greater loneliness. There it is. The self-fulfilling prophecy, right? People with a high vulnerability to loneliness try to avoid all situations that might cause it. As a consequence, they are often hypersensitive to the threat of separation or social rejection, and conversely, may be extremely suspicious of positive social interactions, such as offers of affection, intimacy, or love. Okay, I'm going to step away from this worksheet for a second, because literally, same. Like, do you... I know this doesn't apply to everyone, but... Like... Because I have developed such incredible trust issues in my 20s, I am immediately suspicious of people who are nice to me right off the bat. Like, very nice to me. Um, And part of it is like, I don't know, it's just this weird internalized thing. Where not only is it like, okay, what do you want? Like, why are you... This is kind of sus. But it's also like suss towards myself if that makes sense like I'm just like what do you see in me like why I I don't understand why you're being so nice to me because I don't deserve it there's that internalized shame thing going on it it is very hard to get close to people it's especially with dating the loneliness thing is a big one like I have refrained from dating for essentially a couple years now because i I'm, I, I am hypersensitive to that threat of separation, right? I, I'm hypersensitive to that possibility of getting abandoned again because I feel like, considering how my relationships, like romantically, have panned out, like time and time again, it just feels like abandonment is inevitable. And so when someone tries to get close to me, I. I notice myself just backing out. Like I am, I become suspicious. Like I become avoidant. I'm like scared of what feels like the inevitable. That was pretty much just a vent. When I figure out how to stop doing this, I will let you know. Anyway, back to the worksheet. When is loneliness justified? The feeling of loneliness or abandonment is always justified. When it is associated with a grieving process, it is triggered by the recent loss of a loved one, but at the end of the process, it should be a driving force for establishing new social contacts and relationships. It's important not to confuse the feeling of loneliness with solitude. Solitude can be very liberating, and it can strengthen your individuality and your sensitivity to your own needs. K. Hart agree. I'm sorry, I keep, like, (laughs) getting away from the worksheet, but, like, whatever, this is my podcast, and, uh, we're hanging out. The solitude thing, yes, I haven't been in a relationship pretty much for, like, a couple years, right? And for the longest time, I felt like being alone was just this excruciating thing. I I was so scared of it, and so I would, like, lily pad, I would just, like, go from relationship to relationship, right? I had rebounds on rebounds. I am really enjoying solitude. I totally agree that it can be very liberating. I feel super liberated. And when it says, like, it can strengthen your individuality, absolutely. Like, I I did not take that shit seriously. When people would tell me, they're like, no, no, no. You should really, like, spend some time alone and get to know yourself. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? I'm serious. They were right. I understand now. Like, I have developed so many hobbies and... I have really actually strengthened my sense of self. Solo dates? Phenomenal. You know how many solo dates I've been on? Where I get home and I'm like, wow, I did a bunch of stuff that I have always wanted to do. Incredible. Try going to restaurants by yourself, too. Going to cafes. I went to so many cafes by myself and just did solo dates. Incredible. Back to the worksheet. Okay. We're almost done. Expressing loneliness. It makes sense to get in touch with others when your loneliness is justified. It's normal to want to make new friends too, or search for a life mission. It could be good to look for someone close to you that you've talked to in the last few days, or someone you've hugged in the last few days. People in your support system that you can count on and feel yourself with. Okay. So that's all I have for that worksheet. And this is generally what this episode is about, is... People in your support system, what if you feel like you don't really have a good support system? I know that this is a really common thing for people with BPD because the fact is, this is a, like, like, it's not a personality disorder, it's more so an emotion regulation and a relationships disorder, straight up. If you feel like you don't have a good support system, it's okay, we can fix it right you can you can build a support system any time is a good time to start building connections and like the sheet mentioned before your loneliness eventually becomes a driving force to seek connection and we can learn to seek healing and fulfilling connections in the right places in helpful ways this idea that well i don't need anyone else i should just stay away from everyone and then that way i can't get hurt here's the deal Here's why a support system is important. We are not islands. And what I mean by this is humans as a species are not meant to be alone. It is impossible to survive without getting help from another person either directly or indirectly. It is literally impossible. And so when I say that hyper individualism is shit, I am super serious if you've ever watched that episode of judge judy super serious super seriously i am super seriously saying hyper individualism not good it's not effective it's impossible so let's actually have a look at maslow's hierarchy of needs if you're not familiar with it i'm going to link to it in the show notes maslow's hierarchy of needs is a chart shaped like a pyramid split up into horizontal layers and in order to fulfill the top which represents self-actualization, you need to take care of your needs below that first, which serve as a foundation to be able to present the best version of yourself. On the bottom are your basic needs like water, food, shelter, clothing, sleep, right? Already, right at the basic level, it would be very, very difficult to fulfill these needs without the help of another person, right? Farmers, bakers, meat cutters, manufacturers transporters people running the grocery stores people who constructed the building you live in for shelter the list goes on right like you get the point the next layer includes even more things that we need each other for like employment resources safety health health is a big one too it is very hard to live or survive without ever getting assistance from a doctor The next two layers are what we're pretty much going to focus on. They have everything to do with more intimate connections with other people. Rather than just like getting help for your basic needs, right? Love and belonging. This isn't just a nice thing to have. Love is not a luxury. This is a human need. We need love and a sense of belonging because biologically we are meant to function in groups when you're getting a support system and creating that sense of belonging your inner circle these people can provide things like emotional support having people in your life who care about you and are willing to listen to your problems and provide insight can be really really helpful to navigate through tough situations in our lives problem solving stuff like that right not only that, they can provide social connection, which we talked about, right? Humans are social creatures. So having a network of people to just interact with and, and just hang out with and be yourself with, that can improve your overall well-being and reduce those feelings of loneliness. Not only that, but like I said, with the basic needs, like the very, very, very basic physical needs, your support system can provide practical assistance when you need it. Like if you're sick or overwhelmed, having people in your support system that can help with things like like childcare, cooking meals, running errands when someone's going through a difficult time, That's, those are things that that your inner circle can also help you with. Like you don't have to do everything yourself. It's okay to need help. And finally, there are some people in your support system that you can go to for accountability. So, like, having someone to check in with regularly that can help motivate you to stick to your goals and make progress towards them. And I don't just mean a therapist. Therapist is super good for doing that. But by goals, I don't just mean recovery goals. I just mean, like, all kinds of goals. Whether you're, like, in school or, you know, let's say you have a trusted coworker and you have goals at work. It's more fulfilling for your goals and making progress towards them, to have someone to check in with and to celebrate your wins and to help you get through any kind of losses or failures. A lot of people with BPD have a hard time building a support system because of the way we grew up, right? We had poor examples of what relationships should look like of all kinds. You might not have had a good time fitting in with people at school or whatever. Like you might have been bullied a lot and making friends is really hard. You might have comorbid disorders that make social connections and social cues really hard for you. And so it's not that easy to make and keep friends. And then BPD just makes shit worse on top of all of it. Let's talk about some tips for building a support system first of all who is and who isn't appropriate to inform about your bpd we talked about this in a previous episode a little bit we touched on it regarding like romantic relationships you know when do i tell a partner i have bpd but what about everybody else when i was diagnosed with bpd when i was first diagnosed i felt like i don't know i just felt like engulfed in it i felt like I have to tell everyone because this is news and then people will understand me right um you don't need to tell everyone about your bpd i also would be way more open about my bpd with like complete strangers because i thought that that was like how you combat stigma and it's just not you're not like perpetuating stigma by not talking about your bpd it's just that like your identity is more than just your bpd right so you don't have to bring it into every single relationship that you have We also talked about oversharing, right? Telling everybody when it's not appropriate to tell them about your BPD kind of delves into oversharing territory. There are times when it is appropriate, let's talk about that. Your mental health professional or your therapist is a good one, obviously, that's like probably the best one, because then they can provide you with treatment and support. There are quite a few mental health professionals out there that perpetuate a lot of stigma around BPD. And so you you're not obligated to tell them. If you're kind of apprehensive about it right off the bat, you can just start working with them and say things like, "Okay, well, I struggle with a lot of like intense emotions and you know, it, it's just really hard for me to get a handle on my emotions and I feel like it causes a lot of problems in other areas of my life." You can pretty much just say that if you're not sure. I went and sought out someone who was familiar with BPD and in treating BPD. So it it does help to when you're inquiring about a therapist, seeing like, okay, are there people that you won't work with? Are there disorders that you're less familiar with treating? Stuff like that. Like you can kind of tiptoe and see where they're at with that before you disclose. Other appropriate people would be like close friends or close family members that you trust that are supportive of you like there are some friends out there that you just like you don't they don't need to be an everything friend like sometimes they're just a particular friend that you do an activity with and that's it um like a casual friend that they're not like a super close friend or a best friend right that's okay they don't need those people they don't need to know about your mental illness but close friends that you've had for a long time you you should be able to tell those people my best friend knows that i have bpd pretty much all of my best friends know that i have bpd and, and they don't care, right? Like they, they don't judge me. They, they're just my friend because they're my friend. Here's one more. It needs a lot of evaluation. So like do a lot of evaluating as you go. Employers or school officials, if necessary, when you're looking to discuss accommodations or support services that may be available to you. So for example, like sometimes I have been asked, should I tell my boss? or my work that I have BPD, or even like, how do I get a job if I have BPD? I'm telling you right now, you, you do not need to disclose any mental illness you have to your workplace, to any employer. You, you don't need to put that. It's not like they're gonna ask that on an application or, a, or like in response to a job offer, right? They're not gonna like, like give you a job offer and be like, oh, by the way, do you have any mental illnesses we should know about? They may say, like, do you have any disabilities we should know about, like, PTSD or blah blah blah. Yeah, you, like, you could. You could disclose if you wish. I don't tell employers about my BPD unless it is entirely necessary. Because unless there's a specific accommodation that they can make that that is specifically for my BPD, I don't tell them they just and it's not because it's I'm scared or anything it's just they just don't need to know that it's the same as like if I go need to go to the doctor for something and they're like oh why are you going to the doctor it's like okay it's none of your business actually right like if I'm going to the doctor I'm not gonna just tell them like yeah I need to go to the doctor because I have a big fungus on my nail like no one needs to know this You might need accommodations because you might need to go see, like, go to therapy when you have work. So you might need to take some time off for work. Be like, hey, I need to take the afternoon off um, because I have therapy. I have, uh, you know, like, I I have a condition. I have a mental health condition where I need to regularly check in with my therapist um, in order to get the support that I need. That's, you can do that. You can say that. Right? Right? And then maybe if, like, HR is like, oh, well, what is your illness and maybe we can, like, give you accommodations. (laughs) If that ever happens. I don't know. Um, But other than that, like, you don't need to go to your employer and be like, hey, thanks for the job. By the way, I have BPD, just so you know. (laughs) You don't need to do this. Um, And same with school. I don't know, like, check in with your college. Personally, like, the college that I went to... The accommodations office was really good, and I was able because I had a diagnosis from a clinical psychologist. I took the accommodations form to her during an appointment and I said, Hey, can you fill this out? Because I need to get accommodations for school. And we talked about like what kind of accommodations I I could get. And when you have BPD, it's very uncommon to have just BPD and no other mental health condition. I also have major depressive disorder, so I needed accommodations just around my mental health conditions in general. For example, I was able to get an accommodation where I would not be penalized on my attendance. So, for example, if there was a course where you would get marked on your attendance, or, or you would lose marks for being absent, I, I would be exempt from those. I would be exempt from those penalties, Because I had a really hard time making it to class with how bad my depressive episodes were and how bad my psychosis was at the time. Like I was, when I was first diagnosed, I was in active psychosis. Um, And so obviously I wasn't making it to class. Sometimes I wouldn't be able to message or email the prof. Like some days I would just like, I, I couldn't function like a normal human The last thing on my mind was being like Oh, I know I have psychosis But I better, like, email my, my prof And I, I'm not gonna email him being like Hey, um, just a heads up I'm, like, still in psychosis I can't do the lab today Like, no So I needed accommodations And I would try to make it to class as much as I could You just try your best but my best, honestly, at that time, was like 20%. And that's okay. But yeah, those are the times when it's appropriate to disclose your BPD. Like, no one can force you to disclose your BPD. And you don't need to just disclose it all the time when you're gathering a support system. Like I said before, thing people that aren't appropriate to tell to disclose your BPD to acquaintances that just don't have a deep understanding of mental health and you don't need to like go out of your way and make it your job to educate everybody on BPD like that's emotionally exhausting like if you want to but I I I would find it like really emotionally exhausting to try and explain to every single person ever in my life uh what BPD is Same with people who have a history of stigmatizing or invalidating mental health. Like I said before, like there's just some people out there that they've made it clear that they're pretty ignorant. Don't try to change them. Don't don't fight with them. And same with people online. Don't be a keyboard warrior. Just protect your peace. Don't do that. You are not obligated to share your diagnosis with anyone unless you feel comfortable doing so. When you're going to disclose it, Consider potential risks and benefits of doing so. That's how you determine whether or not it's appropriate. If there's a benefit directly that, that you're going to get, like an accommodation to make your life easier, there you go. Okay, we could do that. We could disclose. If you do decide to share your diagnosis with someone, consider having a conversation with them in a private setting. Be prepared to provide them with a little bit of information about BPD. You don't have to, like, go on a whole... Like, TED Talk, being like, oh, okay, well, you better sit down. Here's a whole, like, PowerPoint. You don't need to do that. You could even have a note in your phone of just, like, jot notes. Casual ways to explain BPD. Like, I have a whole, just in the back of my mind, I just have, like, a whole bunch of metaphors. Like, oh, it's kind of like having third-degree burns, but with emotions, right? Or, oh, it's kind of like being on no-volume and full-volume And no in between. like It's kind of like that. It's really hard to cope with things. I kind of use casual, digestible explanations. Um, And it's good to have jot notes about how it affects you. Because the fact is BPD affects everybody who has it differently. So one person might struggle a lot with suicidal ideation. And another person with BPD might not struggle with it a whole lot. They might struggle more with their anger they might struggle more with paranoia right it's important to kind of do some reflection and be like oh how does it affect me like here are some really like spark note here's like the spark notes on my bpd uh let's let's go through it you know and you're also probably going to want to discuss how they can support you like what kinds of behaviors or language might be unhelpful to you or triggering to you and this is not don't label your things as boundaries i see this i hear this a lot from people where they're like okay don't do that these are my boundaries you controlling another person's behavior is not boundaries your boundaries are how you respond to someone's behavior so you can express that be like hey listen because of my bpd i am very quick to react in a very intense way and so when I'm getting yelled at, getting yelled at is a very unpleasant experience for a re- for the average person, but it's even more, like imagine that discomfort and that unpleasant feeling, imagine that times five. Um, so that's why like, I just shut down and I, I can't actually have a productive conversation. So don't yell. Try your best. If you're ever frustrated with me, do not yell. And then the boundary would be, if I am getting yelled at, I need to leave the room. Like, I can't be around that. It's very triggering for me. I end up spiraling into an episode. It's going to make everything worse. It's hard for me to cope with. So if I'm getting yelled at, I I need to leave the room. I, will, I can't continue the conversation. That's kind of how you can talk to somebody when you're developing that support system. This is a conversation i would likely have with a partner or like a friend it can be really hard to explain your bpd to people when you're explaining bpd use simple and clear language so when you're explaining bpd don't use technical jargon like don't don't use buzzwords honestly try your best not to use like bpd community terms like splitting or favorite person i don't use those terms when i am explaining bpd because then you have to explain the term itself and then you get into a whole ted talk on your bpd and it's just exhausting and i I just don't feel like doing it and for me i'm just a need-to-know basis kind of person when i'm explaining bpd so i'm not saying that like if you do use these you you fucked up um you you didn't but personally i avoid using those terms i just say like yeah i i get into a lot of black and white thinking there's this idealization and then devaluation like thing that happens where compare it to like the rose colored glasses concept right that's that times five right um and i also don't use favorite person i just say like i get very very attached and fixated on a person it's also good to use personal examples, like I said before, like the yelling thing. That's a that's a good example. Do like a cause and effect example. Like th- that's probably the best way to do, to explain BPD is if someone does this or if this happens, then I unfortunately engage in this kind of coping mechanism, and it's really hard to not do that. Like it takes a lot of mental effort and practice over time and professional like assistance to refrain from doing that for example if i am very emotionally overwhelmed with like 10 out of 10 intense emotions to the point where they're incredibly physically painful i unfortunately at times can resort to forms of self-harm and uh I I don't want to, to do it, but unfortunately, like, BPD brain just kind of makes me believe that this is the only way to cope with it. If I'm getting into that space in my head, it might help me if you did this. Like, it might help me if you, if I can't do it myself, if you could go maybe to the freezer and get me an ice pack to hold. So, like, cause, effect... As an example and then being like hey yeah if that happens can you maybe you know if i'm having trouble do you mind just going and getting what i need especially if you're like really really triggered and in an episode when you're in major emotion mode like 10 out of 10 intense emotions it's easier said than done to just ask for what you need you're you're not in logical mind at all when you're in emotional mode your judgment is out the window and people who don't have this disorder or people who don't have issues with emotion regulation you know they'll say things like well just ask for what you need like what do you need what do you need what do you need it's just like you don't understand like your emotions don't get so out of control that all of your judgment is thrown out the window like this condition makes that judgment and that like ability to to act rationally it it throws it out the window and it takes me seriously five times more mental effort to act like a reasonable person and cope with these emotions in a healthy way yes it is possible but i'm telling you like it takes five times more than the average person it's a lot of work right this is how i would explain it now some examples that i've used are kind of casual But it is important to be honest and direct. You don't need to scare people when you're explaining your BPD. You don't have to be like, yeah, I want to just die all the time. Like, you don't need to say that stuff. You don't need to, like, stare into the depths of their soul through their eyes and be like, my BPD has ruined my entire life. You don't need to do this. Um, (laughs) but don't, don't sugarcoat it either. It's still important to help others understand the severity of this disorder right and and the challenges that you face it it's not a disorder that should be sugar-coated like we we have some real fucking issues like bpd is a life ruiner it's not a fun disorder it is very hard to recover yes it's possible but it's hard so it's important to shed some light on that you don't have to do a whole trauma dump don't trauma dump but just be like bpd's a really serious mental health condition. I really struggle. It, it affects my quality of life quite a lot. It affects a lot of people's quality of lives that, that have this disorder. What about making friends? When you have BPD, it's hard to keep friends. You can feel lonely a lot, right? and it it feels a lot like well I don't have any friends and I've I've been there like I've I have felt at many points in my life especially during the pandemic the pandemic really like weeded out a lot of people in my life and I was left with a very small in real life support system I had a hard time making friends at one point, I remember Googling, like, how do I make friends? I don't understand. Like, what the fuck do I even do? Where do I find friends that are just not out of convenience? Here's my tip. Show up regularly somewhere and talk to people in that place. Yes, this can be an online place. That's what you do. That's like the formula. Show up regularly somewhere and talk to people In that somewhere and that's it first of all when I moved to Toronto I didn't have a single friend in close proximity to me in real life um all of my IRL friends lived very far from me like two hour bus ride or whatever from me I knew zero people in Toronto and you want to know what helped me go to cafes like every day or like at least like a couple times a week just go to a cafe you don't even need to buy, like, a latte. You can just get, like, the cheapest drink on the menu. You can get, like, a cup of tea or some shit. Um, just go to a cafe and then, like, talk to the barista and make friends with the barista. Just do that. And then, like, you'll make friends with, like, the other regulars and the other baristas and stuff. Like, you'll get a whole network. Like, go to a cafe. You can even go to a Starbucks, honestly. Starbucks baristas are super easy to make friends with. That's literally their job. That's literally their job, like, I was a Starbucks barista, it's literally your job to, like, connect with your customers in a deeper way. When I was a Starbucks barista, I seriously, I made friends with my regulars, so it wasn't just this fake shit. Like, fine, yeah, some service workers are just nice to you, because that's that's what you're supposed to do. So I can't speak for, like, every service worker and every barista, but for me... And the, and the other baristas I worked with, we made friends with our regulars. We made friends. We made, like, actual genuine connections. Like, we gave a shit about these people. Your barista, I'm, I'm telling you, probably gives a shit about you. Unless you're a bad, rude customer. Don't be a rude customer. Be a nice customer. Be a nice customer. Talk to the barista. Make friends with the barista. Boom. You're in to whatever community that is. You're gonna make friends that's one way that you can do that you can join groups or clubs when i say join groups or clubs you don't even need to go to like a physical group or a club if you are disabled for example and you can't go to a physical place go to discord go find like a discord for your interest and then just like show up there and don't lurk actually talk In there and and like get to know people in there and like you're not gonna make incredible friends like right off the bat friendship is like a seed that you plant now i'm just gonna backpedal a little bit a lot of times i have in the past ignored red flags from not only romantic relationships but friends as well like all kinds of connections it's stopped me from being able to actually curate my inner circle and like focus on cultivating connections with people that actually help my self-esteem and contribute to that sense of belonging. Just because someone's your friend doesn't mean that they're automatically a good friend, right? Some people don't know how to be a good friend. Like some people are just shitty. You know, a lot of times I've put up with people who have shown an interest in me in some form because I was scared of not having friends or i was scared of not having a relationship you know there are a lot of times where i should have taken someone's behavior as a pattern rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt and just dismissing it as an occurrence and there's a lot of like obvious red flags like blatant disregard of your feelings or your boundaries but there's other red flags that we should pay attention to when we're trying to curate our inner circle. Excessive criticism? A lot of people with BPD are going to overlook people who are excessively critical of them because that's what they're used to. You likely grew up in an invalidating environment and probably a part of that invalidation involved criticism or negativity and I'm not talking about constructive criticism. It's okay to have a friend who can offer you constructive criticism with kindness. Honesty without kindness is just brutality. And people especially who offer excessive rude criticism when you didn't even ask for it. Do you really want that? Straight up disrespectful. And that can be really harmful to your self-esteem. Same with controlling behavior. Controlling behavior can often be really insidious. Like it can sneak up on you. It can involve passive aggressive behavior as well i find that f- i've had a lot of friends who have been controlling in a very passive aggressive way where if i don't do what they want me to do they'll they'll like punish me they'll like stop communicating doing something kind of petty or even like gossiping friends who gossip or like spread rumors about you unreliability oh my god okay this is like a big one This is like a really big one that I have overlooked a lot unreliability if someone frequently cancels their plans with you or doesn't follow through on your commitments like it's one thing to be like both of you are mentally ill for example and then you like make plans and you're both really excited about it and then the day of your friend is like hey listen I'm like not feeling it today can we go another time like and then eventually you do it fine But if it's constantly like your friend is going MIA after you made plans and it's like an hour before you're supposed to meet somewhere and they haven't confirmed with you and they do this a lot. Sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I'm on my way. And then they show up like two hours later and you've been just sitting on a bench for two hours waiting or deciding or like trying to decide whether or not you should just like pack it in and go home honestly, you do not need friends like that. Like, 8 billion people in the world, you can definitely find someone else. Like I said before, friendships aren't just people that you just do fun stuff with. Your friends are also supposed to be there for you when you're really struggling, or when someone else in your inner circle is struggling, you help them out, you help each other. Yeah, there are fair weather friends. Not everybody can be a ride or die, but there are people out there that you will connect with that are gonna go beyond just a fair weather friend and they will pull through for you where if you're if you can only do 20 they can put in 80 for you when you really need it they will show up and do an 80 for you and you would do the same for them if they're at a 20 you would show up and do an 80 for them i have friends like that where no questions asked And those are the types of people that you want. I have felt really lonely at a lot of different points in my life. And sometimes I still struggle with really bad loneliness, but I know that it helps me to check the facts. I've had a lot of friendships and connections fade away too, and I used to fight them a lot. I used to feel that outgrowing relationships meant abandonment. And the fact is, People sometimes are really only around for a season. And just because they might not be a huge part of your life forever, it doesn't mean that they can't support you in the present moment. And even temporary relationships, even if they run their course, they can be really healing. I want you to remember that. Even temporary relationships of all kinds can be really healing. So, I. I hope this episode has helped you feel less alone and more understood and more hopeful in being able to cultivate some meaningful connections where you find that sense of belonging. If you're listening, you definitely belong in this little virtual space with me. I know I'm just in your phone, but we're here together. We're hanging out. So thank you for being here. In the next episode, we'll get to chat with a DBT therapist about his nonlinear journey in the psychology field, and we'll have a whole crash course, essentially, about DBT. I'm really excited to have you join us. So peace out, and we'll see you next time. Quiet, not silent. We create a perfect world in our heads. As a matter of fact, I knew there was something in his past. I never know anything of it.